All right. So as we work our way back, just want to say uh, once again, good morning to everybody in the room. And I know there's a few first-time visitors, so a, a big welcome to you guys. I know there's lots of Doe River summer staff here as well. So I'm um, glad to have you guys. Hope you feel encouraged and ready to start a new week this afternoon. Um, so Jerry is on vacation this week. He's at the beach, so he's tall and bald. Next week he'll be tall, bald, and tan. Um, so hopefully he enjoys his week off this week and gets lots of sun and rest and relaxation. Um, so we've been this year going through a sermon series on First Peter, and we finished that up last week. In August, we'll pick back up with Second Peter and continue throughout, probably, I believe, until Advent, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll be in Peter this year. But we're taking a short little break this summer um, that was kind of decided months and months ago to talk a little bit about doctrine. And so it's going to be a short five-week series. And today is pretty much just a basic intro, like, why is it important? And why should we even consider doctrine? So that's kind of what today's about. And then you'll have four different guys over the four next week, uh, four weeks following, speaking on four different doctrines. Um, so I think it'll be great and enjoyable for us. Um, but today, again, just kind of a basic intro, like why are we even talking about that? Why are we here? Why are we discussing it? So throughout um, human history, humans have always sought to answer basic questions about life. Um, really philosophical kind of questions. And there's, there's so many of them. Some of them are like, what is truth? And our culture still answers that today. What does it mean to be human? Um, where does knowledge come from and that truth come from? What happens after death? What is morality? And so many other questions. All cultures seek to answer these questions. Religions answer these questions. And Christianity is no different in the fact that God's word gives us answers to the basic questions of life. So again, those next four weeks, we'll talk about a few different doctrines and, and what the word of God has to say about those in particular. And in truth, I wish we could do more, right? You could spend your entire life and only scratch the surface of the depths of our God and his word, and it would be a valuable thing. Now, there's men like Wayne Grudem who have written large books on theology and doctrine and John Frame and so many others. The good news is we're not going through all of this in the next four weeks. That would take a lot. Um, do what? I know. Hallelujah, right? Um, but it would be well worth your life to going deeper into the Word of God and to studying that. So I'm hoping that this just gives you a little bit of a, a, a scratch to itch, or an itch to scratch, excuse me, in which you should, I mean, some people say it that way. It's incorrect, but um, in which you can spend the rest of your life going deeper and deeper. So as a simple way of definition of what doctrine is, and I'm getting this from um, a Nine Mark series book, so if you want to check it out, you can come and borrow it from me. A guy named Bobby Jameson, um, he defines doctrine in this way. So doctrine synthesizes, so takes something complex and breaks it down and explains it. Synthesizes whatever scripture has to say about any given topic, whether that topic arises from scripture or from life in the world. Doctrine is putting the Bible's teaching on a particular topic in our own words. And doctrine is sound whenever our own words summarize the content of the Bible rightly or faithfully. Sound doctrine is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. So it's taking these large concepts of the Bible and putting them to words that are, that are right in terms of what the Bible says, that are faithful to the Word of God. And that's helpful to us to be able to, to synthesize and understand these big concepts in the Word of God and be able to communicate those. 
But as you sit this morning and you're, you're kind of listening to my words, and you're like, okay, there's this series on doctrine. You might be thinking, oh, great, I really don't want to spend my summer listening to a bunch of guys drone on about some different doctrinal things. I mean, who really has time for that? Why is it important to me? Isn't that really just for pastors and theologians and maybe nerdy people that like to read like me? To be fair, there may be some of you are like, yes. We're going through a series on doctrine. I'm going to sit on the front row. I'm going to take notes each and every week on each of these deep things. And regardless of where you fall in that, we love you anyway. So glad you're here. As you sit each week and listen to these four different doctrines, you're going to get a lot of the, the what, the answer to the what question for each doctrine. And knowing the caliber of the men that are going to be speaking to you guys over the next four weeks, I'm sure you get way more than a simple answer to the what question. But hopefully you'll get that. But in terms of today's message and kind of where we are, I'm hoping to answer the question, why? Why doctrine? Why is it important to the day-to-day -day believer? Whether you find yourself to be a new believer or old, whether you are young or a little bit more mature, why is it important? And why should you spend any part of your life getting deeper into the Word of God, deeper into doctrine? Also, just to start us off, I want to show you several quick passages that mention doctrine and sound doctrine, just to show you that in the Word of God, it's incredibly important. And you can go back later and study each of these and see who is talking and why a lot of them come from Paul in his pastoral epistles. Maybe this will work. Maybe, maybe. Oh, yeah, there we go. Okay, so the first one, Titus 2, 1, Paul writes, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So when it comes to teaching and preaching the word of God, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And we can see this in our culture today. There's people in the, the larger world that will proclaim different doctrines contrary to what is sound in the teaching of the word of God. And they are causing divisions, creating obstacles. Avoid those doctrines. 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says, I urged, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. 1 Timothy 3, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Ephesians 4.14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And 1 Timothy 4, 6, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And so again, this is just scratching the surface of doctrine and what it means. And this is to show you that in the word of God, doctrine is important. And so we want to understand what that doctrine is and to, to be able to, to rightly orient our lives around that word. So our passage today, if you have your worship guides, it's in there. It's going to be on the screen. If you have a Bible, um, we're going to be in Hebrews. Technically, our passage is in chapter six, but I'm going to back up just a few verses at the end of chapter five. So if you do have a Bible and would like to turn there, I'll be in Hebrews chapter five, beginning in verse 11 and following. All right, the word of God says, About this we have much to say, 
and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And then our passage beginning in chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So again, we're in Hebrews 6, but it seemed too important uh, to not back up a little bit and to give a little bit of a context. So in terms of just understanding what's going on in the book of Hebrews, uh, we need a few basic things to, to, to wrap our mind around. Um, so first, in terms of the author, we don't know the exact author of the book of Hebrews. Um, it's not incredibly clear. Uh, what is clear is that person was very likely familiar with the apostles um, and the teaching of the word of God. So it could be somebody like a Paul or a Barnabas or, or perhaps some others, but um, commentators don't exactly know 100% who it is that wrote this letter. We also don't know the exact people group or place in which the letter was sent to, um, but what is clear is that if you're to read the entire book of Hebrews, the expectation of the readers is that they were pretty familiar with the Word of God in terms of the first five books of our Old Testament. So they are very likely primarily Jewish Christians, hence the name Hebrews as the title of the letter. In our passage today, the author, whoever he is, is, is issuing a pretty strong challenge to this group of people. Chapter 6 begins, Therefore, let us leave the elementary of doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So what in the world is going on here? Well, all throughout the, the letter of Hebrews, and I encourage you to read it, it's a great letter, um, all these things in the Old Testament are being compared with Christ. At every step of the way, it is telling us Jesus is better. See, Jesus is the better Moses, the better Melchizedek. His sacrifice was the better sacrifice. And over and over and over again is proclaiming that Jesus is better in every way. At the end of chapter 5, and really throughout chapter 5, the author has been um, focusing on this mysterious uh, priest king named Melchizedek from the book of Genesis. I um, encourage you to go back and check out that story. But again, the focus here is that Jesus is better. He's the better Melchizedek, the better priest king. And so what the author is saying at the end of chapter 5 is he's like, look, there's so many great things I want to tell you about how Jesus is the better Melchizedek, the better everything else. These really deep stuff that's important to know, but you're just not quite getting it. He's like, I'm having to go back and remind you these basic things that you've had since the beginning, the foundation of your faith, and I'm having to remind you again and again and again. So I can't go into this deeper stuff. So what he says to, to leave behind these foundational things, he's not saying to forget them, right? He's saying, those are your foundation. We should be able to move on from there and go into this deeper stuff. When you think of the word foundation, if, if a builder builds a foundation, has to go back and redo the foundation, that building is doomed from the start. So the expectation is that the foundation is good and secure, and we need to make sure of that and then build upon that foundation. So for this writer, he's like, 
you should get this. You should know this by now, and let's move on. Now, for us, as we're just getting into this letter, we can't assume we all know what those foundational things are that's being mentioned. So we will go through those just kind of briefly to understand what the writer is communicating to us. But I think that the premise is still the same for us. Just as for those readers, we should spend our lives in terms of going deeper into doctrine and deeper into maturity and faith, we can do the same, right? We're called to the same in our own life. Now, as you're reading this and you're trying to understand, okay, I think I'm sort of getting the, the basic understanding of Hebrews and what's going on, you may be thinking, okay, well, what are these elementary doctrines that are being mentioned, and do I actually know those elementary doctrine, doctrines, and, and how do I even go deeper than those? And those are really great questions to ask. So even though he is chiding his audience to go deeper. And ultimately, we're challenged in the same way. Again, we want to make sure that we get a basic grasp of these doctrines. So there are six essential doctrines that are mentioned in this passage. They are as follows, and we'll get to each of those. They are repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. You may be thinking like, yeah, I've got some of those, or some of those sound really complicated, and yet those are foundational, but don't worry. Again, today we're just kind of scratching the surface. I'm hoping that by scratching that surface, you'll be like, okay, I want to go deeper on my own. I want to get into it. And if you go through the process of getting deeper in the Word of God and you have questions, come talk to trusted people in the body or talk to pastors. We want to go deeper and walk with you through those questions that you may have. But we want to just briefly touch on each of these today, and then you can go from there. And one other real quick reference before we jump into those specific six doctrines. Um, just something I found interesting. So the phrase that is mentioned here, go on to maturity. In the Greek, this occurs in the passive form. It's kind of like a receiving almost in a sense. Um, and so it's the sense of like this maturing in the faith isn't only on our shoulders, right? Sometimes we have a tendency to think like, okay, I'm going to lace up my boots and, and go deeper on my own. And certainly we're called to that, right? We're called to go deeper. We are called to read and study and memorize and meditate on the word of God and all these things. But if we put it all on our shoulders entirely, then we're kind of missing out and missing the point. In terms of this passivity, it seems that the, the writer is suggesting that a lot of our faith and maturity also comes from God. And I think that there is this dual reality in the life of the believer in which God's word does call us to go deeper. He does call us to study, and there's a responsibility on us, but it's not entirely on us. Sanctification also comes about because the Holy Spirit is working within our hearts and our lives. And ultimately, it is through God's work that we will get to maturity, and we will never get to maturity on our own. If we think, I can study, I can do these things, I can get there, you will never get there without God's help. We will only mature in the faith if God works in and through our hearts and our lives. And he will. He promises to. So specifically for our six doctrines in this passage, repentance from dead works. Dead works very simply means works that are dead, right? No big deal. But in a sense, it is likely what he's saying here is that these works are works that have the appearance of life and godliness. Works that have the appearance of life and godliness. 
So remember, the recipients of this letter were primarily very likely Jewish Christians. So they have the entire you know, Jewish life as their background and their understanding of the way they interact with God. And so for Jews, specifically religious Jewish leaders of the day, but also day-to-day Jews, um, works were very much a part of their religion. When it comes to the Word of God, they studied the Word of God, they memorized large portions of the Word of God, they sought to work really, really hard to not break God's Word, so much so that they would create all these extra laws that were more strict, so they never even worried about getting close to breaking God's law in and of itself. They sought to keep it in its entirety. And then also there is the sacrificial system in which they were responsible to bring these sacrifices to atone for their sins. And so that's their background. That's what they're used to. And it's very possible that they were backsliding into that sense of righteousness that comes from works in which they were responsible. You also had religious leaders that were really showy in the way they presented themselves to others or these long prayers that they prayed in order to get the attention on them. And so Jesus says in John chapter 5, 39 through 40, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think it is in them that you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So they have this background, this understanding, this religion in which there was a lot of responsibility placed upon them through the law. And it's very possible they're sliding back into that of thinking, I've got to do these things in order to be okay. Looking back to these habits, these practices to prove, yes, I am saved, I am good, I am right with God. But the writer is saying, hey, no, 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 that's your past. You're now in Christ. You no longer need to be in these dead works. You have repented from dead works. And instead, your reliance on salvation comes from faith alone and God alone. I don't know about you guys, but this personally sounds really easy for me to slip into in my own life. See, I find it very easy to believe the gospel and to proclaim it to other people when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of me believing it on a day-to-day basis. That's a lot harder. There's moments and there's times in which I ask myself, do I believe this in this moment? Am I truly trusting God for my salvation, for my righteousness that Christ has imputed to me? Or am I trying to to work for forgiveness and love myself? Is it really true that I don't have to do X, Y, Z for God to love me? You see, repentance from works-based righteousness, this is a basic elementary doctrine of the faith. And it's something that is a given, but also is easy for us to slip back into. See, the gospel proclaims the grace of God over our lives as believers. We are free from working to attain to anything. Instead, our works stem from a place of righteousness, a place of forgiveness. And when we understand them that way, then our works as Christians become an act of worship rather than a desperate attempt to get somewhere. We no longer have to grasp for something that's already been given to us and something that we were never able to even attain on our own. So the question is, do you believe in this doctrine of of Christ? And does your day-to-day life reflect someone that believes that you no longer have to work for righteousness, 
Does your life show that you are free from what Christ has given to you? The next doctrine, another intrinsic internal one, is faith towards God. So it's tied to the first, this idea of faith towards God. The word towards is a directional word, obviously, and it's highlighting where our faith is, or perhaps more correctly, whom our faith is in. See, it may sound really, really simple at first, and I certainly hope that it is for each of us, but we have to be reminded that our faith comes from God, and it is through faith, or excuse me, our salvation is from God, it is through faith that we attain that salvation. The Reformers, they refer to this as solo fide, through faith alone. So the understanding that the free gift of salvation that is offered to us is truly, genuinely free. And it only comes through faith in Christ Jesus, nothing that we can attain to on our own. Which again, tied back to that works of righteousness. Paul references this many times, such as in Galatians 2, 15 through 16, where he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet... We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. So it's through belief, through faith. By faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It sounds similar to the last doctrine. Later on in Hebrews eleven six, we read, And without faith... It is impossible to please him, please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, we, we cannot even please God without faith in him. We cannot come to him without faith in him. We cannot draw near without faith. We cannot obtain salvation without faith. We will never be found righteous in our own works. It comes through faith towards God. It is only through faith in the gospel, the works of Jesus Christ, God and his promises to us that our sins are forgiven and that we are given righteousness in Christ. So again, are you living in light of the gospel and these truths that stem from the gospel? Is your faith in Christ alone? Are you resting in the promises of God concerning your salvation? See, these doctrines, they're elementary because they are foundational to your faith, right? But they're still deep. There's a lot of depth to them. And I'm only hitting the highlights, so I encourage you, go back this week, go back this summer, and study these things, study other doctrines, and go a little bit deeper. So the first two are more internal. These two, next two are external um, doctrines that are mentioned. So instructions about washing. So remember... Primarily, this is written to Jewish Christians. You've got to think about um, the Jewish background and, and their understanding of faith. And so they're being reminded, hey, you no longer have to do these things to be right with God, right? Remember, they're foundational to your faith. Instead, here's what these things mean in Christ. So when it's talking about these instructions about washings, what's likely meant is ritual cleansings, these ritual cleansings in the Jewish faith that went from anything from washing of hands to washing of utensils and all these other things that were used in order to, to be right, right? They had to follow the laws of God. They were called by God to do these things. And so there's this sense that, hey, you don't have to do these things to be found right with God, okay? So remember that. 
And I get that because the word uh, washings is plural, right? It's not just one single washing. It's washings that happen again and again and again and again. And so for the, these Jewish Christians, you no longer have to do these things because you're in Christ. It also could be, if you wanted to go deeper and look at it, it could also be tied to, to baptism as well, in the sense that redemption from sins, the baptism of a believer happens one time. It's only necessary once. You don't have to do them again and again as well. Similar to being connected to the dead works from before, um, these habits are no longer needed in terms of showing that you are found righteous. Laying on of hands, these last few, I'm kind of going a little bit quicker because they don't as easily connect to us, but they're still important to understand. For Jews, laying on of hands was used primarily for a few certain things, um, conferring of blessings, constituting public office, and also the sacrifices as well. So there were certain you know, sacrifices in which you would lay your hands on the sacrifice, and that was kind of to show that, hey, my sins are going here, and this is atoning for me. And so there were certain laws, certain rituals of laying on of hands for Jews that were necessary. But for the early church, is different, right? Those things were not as necessary. Instead, a lot of times you see laying on of hands coming from conferring, you know, these spiritual gifts that happened and healings primarily. There may be others as well, but those are the main uses of the laying on of hands for the early church as well. And so again, this writer is saying, you are free from those past expectations. You no longer have to do these things because that's your Jewish way of life or because that's what's expected of you or because that's what's needed for God to love you. Instead, that's then, this is now, right? You're a new creation. And so the writer's helping them to once again see and understand what it means in terms of what was Jewish and what was Christian. Because there's a lot of similarities, some, some similarities and overlap, obviously, and so it was probably easy for them to backslide into some of these things. They need to be reminded. Last two, um, resurrection from the dead. So this doctrine was essential for believers then, and it's essential for us now in the sense that without a belief in resurrection of the dead, the gospel makes no sense. The New Testament makes no sense, and our faith makes no sense without resurrection of the dead. For Jews, if you were to go and look, especially in the Gospels, you see that there was this division um, amongst the Jews of whether or not resurrection of the dead was a real thing between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Some believed there was a resurrection. Some believed there was not a resurrection. But for the Christian, the resurrection is absolutely essential. Paul, he states it well in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 and following. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Bless you. So in the sense of a res resurrection from the dead is foundational, because if you don't believe there is a resurrection of the dead, then you've got a whole nother problem. Your faith is worthless without resurrection because we believe Christ has been raised and that is where our hope is as well. It is foundational to the Christian life. And the last one, looks like I forgot to put that slide in there, but that's okay, is eternal judgment. So this passage, it doesn't speak into the very specific eschatological views 
But it does seem to refer to end times judgment, where you get the word eternal judgment comes from. So regardless of the specific view of the writer in speaking to this, there is a sense in which a Jewish Christian might need to be reminded that judgment for the believer was different from that of a non-believer, right? Judgment looks different. For the Christian, there is no condemnation, right? For those in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So there's a sense that you are saved and redeemed fully and completely. So for these Jewish Christians who, again, they grew up in one sense, one religion, and now you know, through belief in Christ, they're trying to understand what it means to be a Christian, they're being reminded the basic tenets of Christianity. Because there are all these similarities, they need to remember like, okay, there's this division in which I no longer am responsible for these things. I have freedom. I am not condemned. That's a glorious thing that they need to be reminded of again and again. But the writer's like, don't just stay there. Don't go back and keep questioning these basic things. This is the foundation. Build upon this foundation and go deeper into the beautiful things of the word of God and who God is. So for us, what in the world is the application for this? How do we understand, okay, this is true for these Jewish Christians, but what does it mean for me? Why is this passage and doctrine in general, why is it important for me? I believe what it does is it presents a great opportunity for all of us in this room and listening online to simply take stock of our understanding of the doctrine of faith. Because unless you're presented with a specific doctrine, then you may not even think about it on a day-to-day basis. Perhaps you just kind of take things for granted. But it's an opportunity to see that doctrine is important. See, the writer in this passage, they're basically chastising these recipients like, hey, you need to be spiritually more mature. You're being stuck here and you're getting tripped up over these things that are a given that you came to an understanding in your faith. Take those and build upon those. And so the same is true for us in which we can stop and ask ourselves, okay, which doctrines do I feel pretty confident in based upon the word of God? Which ones do I have questions about? Which ones do I need to go deeper in? Probably all of them. And then you take the next step of getting into what does the word of God say? You have a question, you ask another believer in this church, or you come to a pastor and say, I've got questions about this. I'm reading this here and I'm reading that there and I need to understand what is true. And there's reasons why these things are incredibly important. And these questions to ask ourselves. So why is it important for us today? A few basic reasons. So doctrine impacts our doxology. So these are some bigger words. Doctrine impacts doxology. Here's what I mean about that. So doctrine is our right beliefs, right? Remember, it's right and faithful to the word of God. So doctrine is right beliefs. Our right beliefs affect our doxology, meaning it affects our worship. See, your beliefs about who God is, who he has called you to be, that impacts your worship of God as a believer. And it's important to have correct beliefs about God in order to truly worship him for who he is. So let me explain it with this little example. And I stole this directly from Matt Chandler simply because I thought it was a helpful illustration. So let's 
Um, talking about it this way. So my wife's name is Rachel, if you don't know her. So let's say that one day I, I go home and I just feel this incredible, intense love for, for Rachel, right? You, maybe you've experienced this with your spouse. It's not to say you don't love them on a day-to-day basis, but some days it just hits you like a ton of bricks, right? So I go home, I send the kids over to their grandparents' house, I cook this amazing romantic dinner, and I sit on the couch and I stare into her soul, which she hates, by the way. I stare into her eyes, stare into her soul, and I'm like professing my love to her, and I'm like, man, you're, you're just so beautiful, I love you, your blonde hair, your blue eyes, and all these other things, right? Now, you may be thinking, well, that sounds great, and somebody's like elbowing their spouse, like, you should do that to me, right? Well, that beautiful profession of love sounds great until you realize my wife has dark hair and hazel eyes, not blonde hair, blue eyes. So what's the point of that? Well, my love for her was no less intense in that moment, but it was a little misguided, Right? See, God deserves for us to know him rightly, to worship him rightly for who he is. And that's what doctrine does for us. It helps us to understand God correctly and the life he has called us to correctly and helps us to better worship him and love him. So doctrine is important because it affects our doxology, our worship of him. And likewise, because I like bigger words, our orthodoxy, which is our right and true understanding, leads to orthopraxy, which is right or correct practice, living it out. See, our doctrine impacts the way in which we live as a believer in this world, as a sojourner in exile, to pull from 1 Peter. What that means is doctrine impacts your day-to-day life, whether you realize it or not. Because your beliefs concerning God, your beliefs concerning the gospel, what he has done for you, will impact your thoughts and your actions, your words, the way that you interact with other people around you, the way that you see his creation, your hope or lack of hope for the future, all these things. Doctrine is important. And we need to get into the word of God and to understand these things. And there's so many other reasons why doctrine is important. I could list lots and lots, but just a few Doctrine, right doctrine and understanding it helps us to not be led astray by these false doctrines. If you look at mainstream culture or even just, you know, mainstream Christianity, you see all these false things being proclaimed. And if you don't know what is true and right in the word of God, it's easy to be led astray by those things. Or to know who's a a right teacher and a false teacher or maybe you follow certain authors or, or you watch videos on YouTube or you listen to podcasts. But if you don't know sound doctrine, how do you know if what they're saying is true or not in accordance with Scripture? Not to mention, there are times in our life in which we may be faced with something in the Word of God that maybe we don't like the way it makes us feel. Or perhaps our feelings about this don't jive with what the Word of God says. So what do you do in that moment? See, our culture in which we live says that our feelings are king, and our feelings dictate what is true around us. And so if you live that way and you come across something you disagree with in Scripture, you're going to think, well, either that doesn't pertain to me today, or maybe it's wrong, I need to just deconstruct what this is and create what I think is correct. But it's actually an incorrect view of the Word of God and what we're called to do, in which God's Word is absolute and true. And sometimes we may not like the way certain things make us feel, but the reality is our feelings are not always true, right? They may be feeling valid in the moment, but they're not always what is true and steadfast, the Word of God. 
that is the standard. And so we have to conform what we think and what we feel to what the Word of God says. Doctrine is so important. The Word of God is so important. So where do we go from here in closing? What do we do today? What do we do in the next four weeks as we listen to these different doctrines, regardless of what we understand or feel about those doctrines? Well, rather than giving you a basic key takeaway statement, I have a, a takeaway passage or verse for you. So this verse occurs a few places in the Gospels. It also comes in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Um, but if you have a Bible and would like to turn there, I'm going to read from Matthew 22, verse 37. It's also on the screen. But I think this is important for us. So in, the, in this particular moment in the Gospels, Jesus has just been asked, like, okay, out of all the law and the prophets, what is the most important? What sums up everything? What is most true in the Word of God? So Jesus says, and he, Jesus, said to him, to this person asking this question, You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So I'm looking at this as kind of our key takeaway today and trying to understand, well, what does that mean for us? Why, why do I give this as our takeaway when it comes to studying doctrine. Well, in this verse, Jesus is telling us what is required to love God or, or how we are to love God. And so he's saying that you're to love God with your entire being, with all that you are, your thoughts and your heart, everything that is within you, you need to love God with your entire self. But depending on your relationship with God, or at least your background and experience, you may find one of those easier than others in terms of understanding and loving God. See, for some of us, it's easier to focus on the love side and our hearts and, and grace and to sit there and stay there and think, well, I love God in the way that he makes me feel, which is great. We should love God with all of our hearts. For some of us, it's easier to focus on the thought side, the doctrine side, the getting into the nitty-gritty and understanding what do these things mean, and it's a little harder to, to focus on the grace side as well. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 love God, love me with all of yourself, with your entire being. And when it comes to understanding him and to, to worshiping him, that's what we're called to. When it comes to, to doctrine, I think this relates to us as well, because we don't want to only study doctrine for the mind parts, right? That's incredibly important. We need to understand what does this say? What does it mean? What does it reveal to us about God? But then it also has to move into our hearts as well and impact our understanding there as well. I think we have an opportunity and a responsibility in terms of understanding and studying doctrine to do both, to love God with our minds and to love him with our hearts and for that to translate into our life as well. So in closing, as you listen the next few weeks, I have five basic questions that I find helpful. You may find helpful as well. Um, these are on the screen, and I'll leave that up there for a minute if you like to take notes. But as you're listening to teaching of the, the Word of God, the, the doctrine of God, or if you're getting into doctrine yourself, some questions that might be helpful to ask are, what does this doctrine teach me about God? So that's the mindset, right? What am I understanding about God? And I think that's important to ask, because if I think about reading the Word of God myself, sometimes it's just to understand what does the Bible say about something, 
Sometimes it's to understand a, a certain story or how it fits into the overall storyline of, of the structure of God. Um, sometimes it's just to be able to say, like, well, I know where that is and what that comes from and, and to focus on that. But what we sometimes forget when we read God's word is that he has revealed himself to us. Right? We understand that in two ways as Christians through general revelation, excuse me, general revelation and, and uh, special or specific revelation. These are extra doctrines, no charge. So general revelation is just creation, right? You look at creation all around you, God has revealed himself to us through creation. And so you can look at a beautiful sunrise or sunset and the, you have the option of just staying there and like, wow, that is really pretty and go on about your day. And that's not terrible, but you're missing out on something. Because you see that sunrise, that sunset, or whatever it is in creation, the purpose of it there is to point back to the creator. And you have an opportunity to worship the creator because of that. The same is true in the word of God through his special revelation. He has revealed himself to us in scripture. If all you do is read scripture to say, like, I read it today, or yeah, I understand that today, you miss out on something better. Because God says, I revealed myself to you through this. And so when you read the word of God, when you study a doctrine, you say, what is this teaching me about God? I don't want to just understand this to say I've got it or to articulate it or teach or defend it, which is all good things. But what does it tell me about God himself? Because he's revealed himself to me through his word. Number two, how does my understanding rightly of this doctrine impact my view of God or my relationship with him? So this teaching me about God, what does this do to my relationship with him? How does it impact it? AKA, maybe I'm not seeing God correctly. So how does it impact the way I look at God? Number three, how am I encouraged in my faith? So this is beginning to move towards your heart. How does this doctrine impact my faith, encourage me in my faith and my walk with him? Number four, how does this doctrine help me to love and to worship God more? Because again, if all you stay at, I understand this, you're missing out on something better. His word and his doctrine hopefully should, ought to translate into worship of him. And to go back to the illustration of my wife, to worship him rightly by understanding him rightly. And number five, what impact does this doctrine have on my day-to-day -day life? So as you're listening to doctrine over the next four weeks, or as you're studying the word of God, don't just sit at a foundational, I understand this. Move into your heart, move into your life, right? Because the word of God impacts our entire beings. We are called to love him with all of ourselves. Our doctrine impacts our worship. Our doctrine impacts our day-to-day -day life. You have an opportunity to know a person, to know our creator, to know our savior. So may this next four weeks be an opportunity for you to start doing that more and more in your own life. Let's pray. Lord, um, we're thankful for your word, that you reveal yourself to us through your word, um, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us in our hearts through your word. We thank you that it is foundational and steadfast and pure and true, and that though our culture, our lives, our hearts, our thoughts may change because we are fickle, finite creatures, you are steadfast. So I pray for us as we study your word, and as we study doctrine, that you'll help to conform us to, to who you are, who you've called us to be as believers. That you'll help these things to translate into our worship of you, 
the impacts our lives, the way that we see you and those around us, the way that we live as your ambassadors in this world. Help us to, to love you, to love your word, and to be a people after your own heart. We can do none of this without you, Lord, so we desperately plead for your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you um, are new to Redstone, we don't do it every week, but I'm going to attempt to do it today in the hopes that nobody asks me hard questions. Um, but we oftentimes will pass around a microphone. So Josh is here. Um, even though he has a scary beard, don't be afraid of him. If you have something you want to say um, from today's teaching, from the Word of God specifically, maybe how you've seen this in your own life in terms of a way of glorifying God that you want to share or an encouragement to the body, if you want to raise your hand, Josh will come to you. One over here. We'll do that just for a couple of minutes, hopefully to encourage one another and to worship God together. And then we'll stand up and continue in worship as well. In listening, Sam, I'm reminded of the passage in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians, regarding the supremacy of Christ and what an incredible section of doctrine that it contains. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, my own heart, I was troubled this morning, Kathy over here. Um, so I went to a psalm and then I was, I felt so much better because it reminded me that the Lord reigns, Psalm 97 verse 1. And that in and of itself was enough for me to feel at peace, to know that he reigns. It's such a good thing for us to go to the word of God. In light of First um, Peter, we just finished where Peter keeps going back to the gospel, back to the gospel, back to the gospel. Um, where do you see that? Um, and, and can you explain why that's a good thing? Because I know it is. Um, in light of the author of Hebrews saying, leave behind the elementary things. Yeah, absolutely. Just like he does with the foundational stuff. The reality is that if you're a human, and I assume you are like I am, that we are very fickle people, right? I, I used to read the Old Testament and the Israelites, and like, how could they turn from God in this? Did they not see one chapter ago, however long ago that was, one chapter ago that God did this? How are they turning from him there? And then I'll get up from my Bible, walk away, and immediately forget what I've read, or immediately doubt the truths of the Word of God. See, God's Word tells us to encourage one another as long as it is called today, right? We need the gospel because we're fickle, and we'll slip in, back into those repentance-based things. See, the reality is true that, yeah, these are foundational. You should be able to build upon them, but you're stubborn, or you have a hard time, or what have you. You need to be reminded of these things, both in your own heart and your study of the Word of God, and in the lives of other believers, to say, like, hey, don't forget, that's not who you are anymore. This is who you are. Let's go on from there. So in answer to your question, I think it's incredibly important because we're human and we forget very, very easily. Anyone else? Easy questions or encouragements? Hey, Sam. Hey. Um, good morning. I have a question about doctrine. If you want to learn a little bit more about it, and I'll give a specific example. And this, this question may be a little bit early, but let's take, for instance, someone who reads the Old Testament says, you know, sees that the Lord declares that some things are an abomination, right? And we know that he's prescribing how Jews can be clean before him. He says, I want you to be a people set apart. 
the rest of the world is going to do this, but I want you to do this. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. We see Christ, the supremacy of Christ is mentioned. He accomplished all of this. He covered all of this. He is where we set our focus. But how does that jibe for the Christian who reads the Old Testament, knows that God has not changed in the past, the present, and the future? He has declared something as an abomination. And the Christian wants to honor God and then runs into this, what appears to be a conflict. It's, it's only appearance of a conflict, but doesn't really describe it. I guess two questions, maybe. Maybe you can speak specifically to that, but just more broadly, how does the Christian navigate understanding good doctrine in light of things that appear to conflict? Because that, that, to me, that one kind of sticks out a little. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I don't know if I can answer it completely clearly now in this moment, because Jerry thinks and talks, and I think, 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 and talk later on. So we can talk more specifically later on. Um, but whenever we look at and understand anything in the Word of God, and sometimes we have questions and we're like, that seems to contradict over here, right? That's one particular instance. So the easy, hard answer is, well, you got to read all of it, right? And that sounds like a cop-out, but it's also true in that whatever the Word of God says, we look at it in light of what does all of the Word of God say about that particular thing? Since God never changes and His Word never changes, so that's not an easy answer to your question, and that's maybe a case-by-case -case basis of looking at it. But also say, like, Jesus doesn't come to abolish the law, right? He says, I don't, I don't come to abolish it. So it's not going to pass away in any way, shape, or form. And so there's a sense that it still stands and is still true. But in the Old Testament, the thing that the Israelites were called to were to set them apart from the rest of the world, right? And who sets us apart from the world? Christ does. It is no longer our works that set us apart. It is he that sets us apart. So it's not that those things are no longer true. It's just that the setting apart is different and that God has done that for us and to us. So I know that's not a specific answer, but in general, there's a, a quick answer for you. Anyone else? Easier questions or encouragements? <laughs> Nothing. There's one in the back, Cody. So one thing that could help answer, I think, what you were trying to ask. When it talks about God saying that certain things are an abomination, all sin is an abomination. But And with that, it's like, if you look into Revelations, you look into um, a lot of the books of the Bible, it talks about, there's a very clear list of, hey, people who have lied, people who are adulterers, people who do this or do this or do this will go to hell thing is every person in this room has done one of those if not many but God being rich in mercy has saved us and God paid the price for our sins taking away the abomination so that when God looks at us he doesn't see us and our sin and our like our pain and all the problems that we've caused he looks at us and sees his son Does that help? Amen. Thank God for that. Amen. Anybody else before we continue in worship? Okay. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll stand and sing. So, God, thank you for your word, the encouragement that's there. Thank you that we are able and even allowed to ask hard questions, um, and that you, through your spirit, through your word, that you give us... Um, answers to the basic questions of life and that we have an opportunity to know you so just help us 
as we read your word, to understand who you are as you revealed yourself to us. Help us to worship you rightly. Help our lives to be in conformance to, to who you are and what you've called us to. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys will stand and grab your worship guys as we continue in worship.